Stories from California Cattle Country is produced by the California Cattlemen's Foundation and receives support from the California Cattle Council. We've created this podcast for those wanting to connect with the people and practices of far-flung ranches and dairies in California through hearing stories from and learning more about the families in cattle country. On this podcast, we mostly visit cow-calf operations where calves are born and raised to be sent away, potentially to a feeder or perhaps to other operations. Cattle in California typically spend a year and a half to two years on a cow-calf operation where they graze. Now, 90% of those operations are family-owned and operated, with the vast majority having fewer than 100 head. Once they reach a predetermined weight, animals used in beef production are often then sent to a feedlot to eat a specifically designed diet, with the intent increasing their size and the quality of their meat or carcass. Now, these two operations look quite different from one another. Now, this is a generalization, but if you see cattle spread out over a hillside, that's likely a cow-calf operation. Now, a much rarer sight is to see a feedlot. In feedlots, they take on a much different appearance. They are characterized by large shaded pens separating different groups of animals due to where they came from or for their dietary needs, with alleys separating the pens to allow feed trucks to fill bunks. In this case, the animals are all side by side as they don't have the need to go out to search for food. It's all right there. Due to the animal's proximity, different kinds of maintenance is required. For instance, misters run occasionally for the animal's comfort and dust abatement. This is why the pens often seem to be on darker ground. Cow-calf operations often hope to feed their animals the food that their ranch land can produce. Sometimes due to a lack of water, the feed may fall short. In this case, feed is brought in, in bales, and spread out in convenient areas. When this happens, the once spread out cattle bunch up and remain that way. After all, they are herd animals. I feel that from afar, people can see the two operations make assumptions about how a feedlot would make for unhealthy or unhappy animals. In my experience, this is not the case. In both instances, the animals are well cared for and content. After our first day of interviews in Imperial with Joe Dan Cameron, which is featured in the episode prior to this one, we walked from the Brawley Inn to Stockman's, which is a members-only bar and restaurant akin to like an Elks Lodge. It was cowboy poetry night. When the poetry began, the dining room and bar fell silent. There were some classic recited poems, some original poems, and even some live music, all of it highly representative of the Imperial Valley. One poem that struck out to me was a poem about how the valley, which is in a desert, would prefer not to have rain. Now, this sentiment was the antithesis of everything I've heard from every other rancher. The valley is permanently fed water from the Colorado River, and it's not in short supply, at least for now. Many of the farmers in the area grow greens of various kinds, as evidenced in the drive-in, when you're flanked by hundreds of acres of neatly planted rows of greens on both sides. The valley is absolutely flat, which allows one to see for miles. Imperial is the southernmost county in the state and enjoys a long growing season. When you already have the water, any additional rain only invites mud and mold. Also, being that the portions of the valley are below sea level, there could be flooding. This is from Wikipedia. The Colorado River is one of the principal rivers along with the Rio Grande in the southwestern United States and northern Mexico. The 1,450-mile-long river, the fifth longest in the United States, drains an expansive, arid watershed that encompasses part of seven U.S. states and two Mexican states. The name Colorado derives from the Spanish language word for color reddish due to its heavy silt load. Starting in the central Rocky Mountains of Colorado, it flows generally southwest across the Colorado Plateau and through the Grand Canyon before reaching Lake Mead on the Arizona-Nevada border, where it turns south towards the international border. After entering Mexico, the Colorado approaches the mostly dry Colorado River Delta at the tip of the Gulf of California, between Baja California and Sonora. In this episode, we speak with Mike Sulpizio of Superior Cattle Feeders about the feeding sector of the cattle business, water, quiet cows, 
and the unique history of the Imperial Valley. I'm Ryan Donahue, and this is Stories from California Cattle Country. My name is uh, Mike Sulpizio. I, uh, I work for Superior Cattle Feeders down here in Brawley, California. Been feeding cattle for about 24 years down here in the southwest uh, Arizona, Southern California area. What we do down here in Brawley is we, we feed cattle to finish weight, to beef processors, to then sell as steaks, hamburgers, roast, you name it. So what we do is very uh, scientific to a certain extent, but yet basic in that we just feed them a nutritious, wholesome diet to get them to gain weight as best we can. I was actually fascinated to hear you talk earlier about different like cross breeds and things like that. Can you just like elucidate that a little bit? Just I honestly don't have an understanding of it. You said there's like, you know, there's some Mexican cattle, which came from Mexico, but then there's also some. So what's the reasoning behind that? And why are there these different mixes? Well, so absolutely. So you have to go way, way back. I mean, that was probably some of the first genetic modification, if you will, of, of animals is just simply breeding two different breeds an Angus and a Hereford, you know, it might be an Angus bull and a Hereford. That's how we come with black white face cattle. And so you can do that across different breeds depending on their characteristics. And we've gotten really good at that over time, over, you know, a hundred years. We can breed for bigger ribeyes. We can breed for milk production. We can breed for smaller or bigger calves, uh, what we call calving ease. A lot of the cow-calf operations have perfected this over the years and years and years. And so in regards to what we do, there's certain breeds that have better beef characteristics than others. And so a lot of times what we'll do is when we buy cattle is obviously we want to know what breed they are. Now, this valley has really grown on, on the Holstein breed that started way back in the 80s with the Ralph's Grocery Store program. So we are known for Holsteins in this valley. However, the valley was built on crossbreds from southern Texas and you know, all the way back to Florida, uh, lightweight calves. We typically have to feed a lighter animal just because our cost of gains, our, our input costs are higher than some other places in the United States. So we need to take advantage of that weight. However, so when we buy an animal, I want to know, is it Angus-based, Hereford-based, Charlet-based, you name it. And, and, and we don't dictate that. The ranchers dictate that at, at certain regions in the country. The northern states, Montana, Wyoming, are going to have a different type of crossbred than, than say, southern Texas. You know, Southern Texas is going to have more of a Brema Longhorn influence, thinner hided because of the heat. And those cattle typically do well here in our valley, uh, but they may not be the best grading as far as prime choice. So those are just decisions we have to make uh, when, when we buy those cattle and, and depending on the price. Today, a lot of what we get paid for is the quality of the, of the carcass, the quality of the meat. Yes, we need the animals to gain really well in the feed yard and be efficient and utilize minimal feed for maximum gain. But at the end of the day, we get paid on how well their carcass is. 
And, and if it's not a good eating experience or if it's not a good, you know, a good product for the packing house, then, then they may not buy them again next time. So we may stay away from those Southern cattle today. Consumers' choices have changed. Years ago, a select choice steak would probably be good enough. But now we found that consumers are kind of liking a high choice, you know, a good marbled, a good tender steak, even prime you know, they're willing to pay for it. So in that regards, we might buy a more northern animal, say more Angus-based genetics, where there's a lot of data on tenderness and cutability and palatability. Those animals today would be in more favor. Now, we also have to look at our environment and can we, can we feed them correctly given our environment. And today, I would say it's challenging to feed uh, what we call black-hided animals that are more Angus-based. It's just a challenging environment here for four months out of the year. And that's because it's, it's, it, it, it be- gets hot. Because of the heat, absolutely. Yeah. It would take a significant amount of infrastructure to really be able to provide a comfortable environment for those animals. You know, We already run water trucks, run sprinklers, and, and do everything we can to possibly cool those animals down in the summer. But when you start getting into the predominantly black-eyed animals, it just takes a lot more of that, possibly longer into the day. So, so that becomes a challenge. But So the cattle out of Mexico would be like a Simmental Charlet cross, uh, where they'd be a little hardier of an animal, can handle the heat, may have a little brama in them, which is, in our terms, we, we say a tick of ear, meaning a... a you know, the big hump animals, you've mm-hmm. ever seen those, you know, th- that's the Brahma. They handle the heat very, very well, and they're very hardy, and they, they are survivors. So we would want to purchase something that that is hardy like that, but yet maybe has a bull with some Angus genetics possibly to, to help the beef side of things when we go to sell. So those are all decisions we make um, as we go looking for cattle or, or offered cattle. We were talking earlier when we weren't recording about operating in this valley. And, and last night we went to Stockman's and heard uh, it was poetry, cowboy poetry night, heard a story about how they don't want rain down here, which is something that we've <laughs> never heard before, like ever. This is a very unique environment and the the positives and negatives of operating in Imperial well, Valley. Uh, number one, we're flat. <laughs> so So the rain doesn't go. It doesn't really run you know, too far. So when we get rain, it, it stays where it lands uh, a lot of times. But, you know, we, we irrigate like we spoke about the other day. You know, all of our water here in the valley is surface water. And so we irrigate. So these farmers have, they've got a plan, they've got a schedule, they can, they can monitor their water. And so depending on the crop they have, and I'm not a farmer, so I can't speak totally intelligently about this, they know what they need. And so if we were to get into a really bad monsoon season or, or El Nino season where we get a lot of water and they can't get into the fields to harvest the crops or, or just or physically even get in the field or it causes the crop to mold or mildew in the field because they've had it planned and growing and they're ready to go. So, so rain can be a hindrance for us down here. And this valley has a lot of clay. So even just driving around the feed yard, I'll get stuck on flat ground. <laughs> my, my tires won't go, but yet an inch down is dry, you know. So it just makes it hard 
to work in this valley. Something I was kind of fascinated by, because uh, this is a kind of a two-part series, and it's going to be acknowledged in the podcast, because we visited uh, Mesquite yesterday, and then, you know, we're here today. I was milling around with a camera on Jodan's property, didn't receive any attention. And I know that ranchers in general are squirrely about 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 press and things like that. And I think feeders are probably more so, yeah. right? So I we walked right up in here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. can you explain that? Because I think that it's there's a misconception that you guys like are, you know, surrounded by barbed wire or something. Yeah. But. No, it's, you know, we're open for business. I mean, we, we do business. We, we, we get deliveries. We, we have trucks that come in and out. We train our guys to be diligent on if somebody doesn't look like they belong here or they need help to, to go ask. A lot of our other facilities, all the employees will wear safety vests. So they know if somebody doesn't have a safety vest on, hey, I need to go maybe check in with them. But at the same time, we, we've got work to do too. In respect to today, I, I told my foreman and all the guys what we had going on today. Okay. You know, somebody's going to come. So yeah, there's got to be a lot of communication between you know, staff and management if we know, but we're busy and yeah, things can happen. And, and we find that, you know, some of these so-called undercover videos or whatever is because people are busy and they take advantage of that. And it's a normal operation right. or, or there's moles or, or what have you. Um, but we try to be very, very diligent about that. Yesterday afternoon, I, I would have to think around that time, um, most of Mesquite's gates would normally be locked. But because we had a meeting, you know, it's so because they do have a night watch person in certain periods of time. So he comes on at three. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so there you go. Yeah. So it's, you know, nothing's perfect. Um, we I do know that they have a very sophisticated camera system, as we do here as well. Um, but but nothing's perfect. Uh, we do our best. And, and but at the end of the day, though, I'm not embarrassed by anything we have. We keep our pins clean. We keep our cattle healthy. And it's not like you can clean up the place. Well, like, we're, I mean, we're going to go up and like, we're going to have take pictures and video yeah, and stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a massive property. It's not like, oh, it, someone's coming. Let's like make all the cows happy real yeah, quick. No, you so, know? We, <laughs> so, I mean, that's the whole point of what we do is like, we got to make the cattle comfortable every day, not just when people come, you know. And so you'll see, we didn't prepare for you guys to come. It's, you know, the pens are in good condition and that's all about how we stock them and how many we put in a pen and you know, using the water truck. And, and, and when cattle ship, we go in and we clean the pen. And those are just things we do. That's what good operators do. The problem we face is, like with anything, it's the 1% that give us a bad name or, or give us a bad reputation, right? There's people that, that, like, they just want to know that the animals are taken care of. Like, they know. So it's a hard thing. And I've been on many trips and on many talks where it's like, the packing house is an ugly side. Like, there's no way to make that look good, right? Mm. There's no way knocking them in the head, like, is going to sell with people. Like, that's a bad deal. And normal people know that. They just want to make sure they're taken care of comfortably, fed right up until that point. They know that part's ugly. As long as it's quick and, and no pain and all that, that's all they want to know. But you can't paint a good picture on that side. So what they need to see is a facility like ours and like Joe Dan's that takes care of the animals to the best of their ability all the way all the way up into that point. I believe wholeheartedly that all the professional operations here in the valley do that.
with, with a high level of integrity. That's something that's fascinating to me is that, and this is something you spoke to previously, but I think it's it's important to to talk about again, is just the overlap, the camaraderie between the different producers yeah. or the different feedlots in town and how you guys work together all the time. Can you speak to that? Like how? Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're independent operations. There's, there's no question about it. We compete to buy calves and bid against each other. But at the end of the day, we all live here. Almost all the families have grown up together. Um, but yet when we have challenging times, whether it be, you know, policy or environmental issues or, or breakdowns of, of equipment and, and facilities, everyone in this valley is so willing to help each other. It's, it's, like, it's like nothing I've ever seen. I've got example after example of, of even myself and, and other feed yards in a storm an electrical pole went down and, and a neighbor feed yards mill is down. Hey, we're sending feed. We're on the phone. What do you need? And, and that's just what we do. And I've had that done to me without even asking. And it's pretty cool. It's really pretty cool. And I just don't think, I just don't think you get that in other areas of the country. Can you talk about the poker games? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that was, gosh, we got to get back to that too. Cause that was such a blast. So years ago, we would have about once a month and we would, we, we would call it our gossip session or catch up session. And so we would have pretty much the manager from every feed yard or darn near every feed yard was representative. And we would have a pharmaceutical company or someone in town. And we would here at the Butterspur West Yard, we would have a poker game about once a month, once every two months, whatever, you know. $2 was the maximum bet. So it wasn't anything crazy, but we would just, you know, we, we would barbecue carne asada and, and visit. And uh, what were, where was it from? You said there was oh, Ra- Ramey's meats here in Brawley. Okay. But we would get together and, and, you know, sometimes we wouldn't talk cattle. Other times we talk cattle, we would talk issues going on in the Valley. And we just were all really, really friendly, you know, and, and sometimes we get busy and we don't, we don't visit for months on end at times because we all have things going on in families. And so it was really fun. And I think if you talk to any of the guys and girls actually uh, that, that were involved with that, it was, it was just a fun, fun time. We've wanted to come down to Imperial for a long yeah. time, but this is out there. Well, hey, c- you come know? down next time. We'll poker. <laughs> yeah. Well, poker yeah. and carne asada. So yeah, yeah. so it's, it's an, a really interesting part of the state. Yeah. It's fascinating. And, and you know what blows people's mind is the diversity of the agriculture down here on the crop side. I mean, just things I don't even know about are grown down here. I mean, just amazing, amazing things with, with the livestock and even, you know, not, not just the cattle, but lambs. It's amazing. And we'll get visitors from the Midwest or out of town and we'll give tours and they just are blown away like in the desert, like all this stuff is here and that we can do so much with it. And then they look off in the winter, especially then they look off to the West and they see the the Blue Angels practicing in the winter. This is their home spot in the winter. And so they see them doing their aerial maneuvers and it's just it makes it such a cool tour. We were we were driving the other day. I'm like, look at that. There's like there's fighter jets. Yeah. And like you know, yeah. in formation flying over us. Yeah, it's pretty it cool. was like super fascinating. Yeah. It's like, it's not something you I, see all the time. It, it could have been them. I mean, it's wintertime. That's when they kind of do their stuff. Yeah. I, I've never given a tour of, of the area and, and have anybody disappointed at all. They just, we, we couldn't believe that this was here two hours from San Diego. 
the reason I have a job is that uh, most of these places are out of the way. It's yeah. rare that I go to a place that's sure. easy to get to yeah. because it's just it's just the nature of the business. It's you know, yeah. um, it is fascinating here that it is great farmland, but also there's feeders here because usually when we go to ranches, those ranches they're not good to farm because yeah. of topography or sure. because of soils or sure. whatever. So it's interesting, but this is kind of you know it's a different part. It's a different sector of, yeah. of what's going on. Between between this valley and Yuma, it's 95% of the winter produce comes out of this area. Feeds the whole country. Yeah. I mean, that's no, we drove. Yeah, we drove by a, a lot of plants. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, water, like we talked about the other day, is such a significant issue for us down here. I think we're going to go and tour the yard and not hear cows moo. <laughs> and take some pictures. Um, I want to thank you for allowing us to bother you two yeah. days in a row. Absolutely. And then, uh, yeah. Well, I think you can tell Jody and I like talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no. We, we love what we do and we're passionate about what we do. I wouldn't raise my kids in this environment if it was something I was ashamed of or thought that we shouldn't do. And so that's why we're so open about it is we really don't have anything to hide. Yeah. You know? This is uh, the cattle feeding sector has probably been one of the most scientific sectors of any of ag i mean you know from the nutrition side and, and the medicine side and it's, it's it's really fascinating really fascinating and i you know my kids are growing up in it i have a daughter that's gonna hopefully go into the business in whatever capacity and she loves it and i just i wouldn't do that if it wasn't safe and wholesome and reputable i wouldn't do it so well, thank you for having us absolutely anytime Postscript. In this interview, Mike spoke of a dozen or more breeds of cattle, and according to Wikipedia, there are over a thousand recognized cattle breeds worldwide. If you'd like to learn more, I'll add a link to the description, or I guess you could just type it into your phone. This episode was recorded on the same trip as our previous episode, episode 36, entitled Visiting Our First Ever Feedlot and Joe Dan Cameron in the Imperial Valley. Though the operations are similar, we took pains to make sure the content wasn't redundant. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, you might want to give it a try. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.